This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk about the latest and greatest with Fabricool and ONTAP 9.7. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipork. Zipork. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio and with me on the phone are a couple of folks from Sunnyvale. Uh, So John Lance is on the phone. Hi, John. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Doing well. So John, what is it that you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? Sure. So um, I'm a technical marketing engineer. Um, Basically, I'm working with Fabricool. I've been the TME for Fabricool since before it released back in 92. And right now, I'm also the TME for S3. You said S3 um, in ONTAP. That's interesting. So what's what's this all about, and how do I get a hold of that? So that's right. So ONTAP has you know traditionally done you know file. It does block. And we keep getting asked questions. How come you don't do object? Um, why do I have to go somewhere else to, to do object? Um, that might not be the case um, for much longer. Um, starting in 9.7, we have a public preview of ONTAP uh, S3. Um, and it's basically we're creating an object store off of flex groups, really, is the underlying architecture. Um, it's not you know fully fledged. We don't want people to put it in production in 9.7, but we do want folks to take a look at it, test it, um, and see you know what works, what's missing, um, because we would like to go you know in a in a fully featured production ready release you know in the very near future. Um, but the very first you know public preview. You know, it's solid GA code, maybe with not out all the kind of features that we're looking for in the GA release, but that's available in 9.7. Okay. So it looks like we're uh, we're doing a little more with the extra protocols, right? So we've already got, you know, NAS and SAN. Now we've off- we're offering S3 for object. Correct. You know, good news is it's most basic. It's just, it's just S3, you know, puts, gets, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it's not too much additional work. It's just that the workloads that use S3 are, you know, significantly different from what we see with file and block in ONTAP. So we've got to get everything else, you know, all the ducks in, in a line um, on the back end there. And my understanding is this S3 server that we're putting in here, it's it's not just going to be for object access. It's going to be also for potentially tiering fabric pool, right? Not in this first release, not in 9.7. So I would love to see that in, in the future, but that's not where it's going to be for that initial release. The first release is really just, hey, can I use you know my ONTAP or you know my NetApp hardware uh, to create an object store? Um, I think, obviously, the, our object storage of choice is always going to be StoreGrid. Um, it has way more functionality, you know, lots of performance, um, you know, cutting-edge, erasure coding, et cetera. Um, I think we're we're seeing a lot of customers' requests in ONTAP is saying, hey, I have this old controller, and I'd love to use it for object storage. Um, how come you don't let me do that? Um, so it's really for folks that they're not looking at buying new hardware, that those you know customers are probably going to move into storage grid. But for folks that just want to repurpose some of their existing hardware for a little bit longer, um, this, this gives them an option. Yeah, my understanding is it's going to be more of a basic access for S3 as opposed to storage grid, which is going to do more of the global access and the erasure coding and all that good stuff. Cool. We should do a podcast on that sometime. I, I know okay. a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. Again, the one the one caveat here is this is a public preview for for nine seven. So okay, so we, we we will table that until it is available publicly for everybody. Um, today we're talking about Fabric Pool, of course. Uh, also with us on the phone, uh, Shreya Paramkusam. Hi, Shreya. What do you do here at NetApp? Hi, Justin. Um, so I'm a product manager here at NetApp. I obviously handle Fabric Pool because I'm here talking to you today. But I also have FlexCache, um, which is a caching solution to access data faster. She used to do Flex Groups, then she she ditched me. She dumped me. <laughs> so I still hurt. jump in. Then. I'm so hurt. She picked John over me. I don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, I'm she picked close. Chris Hurley over me. Come on. <laughs> is this uh, going on the podcast? <laughs> yes, I, to- I totally is. I like to. I like to. I like to give Chris Hurley a hard time. I'm totally joking. Uh, so, um, so Shreya, uh, how do we reach you if we want to reach you? Uh, so, uh, my email address would be the best way to reach me. It's shreya.paramkusum at netapp.com. Excellent. All right. So, um, like I said, we're going to talk about Fabric Pool. Uh, 
we're going to talk about what's new in ONTAP 9.7 today. But first, if people are not familiar with what Fabripool is, we've kind of hinted at what it is here. Let's talk more about it. So, John, 10,000-foot uh, view, Fabripool. Sure. 10,000-foot uh, view is Fabripool is peering inside of ONTAP. It's just the name that we've called the feature um, that enables peering uh, within ONTAP. It is, it's not something, you know, additional. It's just, it's just part of ONTAP. Um, and what we're creating is, you know, composite aggregates, really, at the end of the day, where you have, you know, your, your SSD aggregate, and then you have, you know, what we're attaching it to, which is basically a bucket out in the cloud somewhere connected to object storage. Um, and, and what we do completely seamlessly, completely transparent from client applications is we then tier the data to where it makes the most sense. So, you know, hot, you know, active applications, we're going to keep the data on the SSD where you get all the performance of Flash. Um, for, you know, data that's just sitting around kind of doing nothing, which, you know, the vast majority of most data centers, is, that's their, their primary footprint is doing, you know, data that hasn't been touched in, you know, over a month. Um, then we're going to move it over to the object storage. Um, and this, we just basically tier it back and forth depending on where we need it the most. Um, and all this happens automatically. Um, ONTAP does all the heavy lifting. You know, all, you know, a storage admin needs to do is, you know, set it up and it's super, super simple. Um, and then you can set policies at the volume level determining, you know, on this volume, I have these applications and I want to tier it, you know, after this many days versus, you know, on this volume, maybe I only want snapshots or on some other volume, I want everything to tier. Um, so the control happens at the volume level, but the attachment happens up at that, you know, aggregate level, or I guess what we're, I think we're calling that the, the local tier now in, in System Manager. So that's where all, you know, the attachment gets made. But really it's just, you know, keeping your data where it makes, makes the most sense. So if you, if you need the performance of Flash, we keep it on Flash. Um, if you don't, let's move it somewhere where it's significantly less expensive. Um, I think Flash has massive benefits in terms of, you know, performance, latency, et cetera. Um, but it, it's not a great solution for data that's never going to make use of that. And so that's really what Fabripool does is we just tier the data somewhere else so that, excuse me, so that very, very large footprint um, is, you know, significantly lower cost. Um, flatly, you know, for backups, et cetera, or just, you know, cold data in general. Um, let's keep it off of Flash. Um, let's let's keep Flash open for you know your hot active workloads. That's really you know Fabric Pool in a nutshell. Okay. So we introduced some things uh, in previous releases that help you kind of vet out Fabric Pool. Um, so what sort if I'm interested in Fabric Pool and I want to try it out, but I don't want to actually turn it on? Are there things I can do to like kind of benchmark it and also to kind of figure out if I'm going to actually save anything? Absolutely. So starting in ONTAP 9.4, so this goes back a, a few releases, we came out with two features, um, inactive data reporting and the object store profiler. Um, both of these are really great features. Um, inactive data reporting is probably one of my favorites, though. Um, so what they do is the object store profiler basically is taking a look at, you know, the, it does a bunch of, it takes about two minutes to run. It does a bunch of puts, it does a bunch of gets, and it lets you know the performance that you're going to get because not every object store is created equal. You know, Amazon gives you better or worse performance than, than Azure or Google or, or something like that versus, you know, the, the, the private, you know, object stores um, like StoreGrid are going to have, you know, significantly better performance. So it really depends. They're not all created equal. And the object store profiler lets you know, like, you know, with real world puts and gets, what that is going to look like. Um, the other one that came out in 9.4 is the inactive data reporting. Um, and this one is really, really good. Um, probably the most helpful tool out there in terms of determining how much data is hot and how much data is not. Um, it, and that's like every admin out there knows, like, you know, the vast majority of their data center is cold. But if you ask them, you know, so what aggregates or what, what volumes is all this cold data on, um, then they, you know, it's it's harder for them to, you know, pinpoint exactly what that number is. And inactive data reporting does exactly that. It lets you know exactly how much is cold, you know, on the various local tiers or on the various volumes. Um, in 9.4, it, it came out and you could turn it on um, to, you know, SSDs only. You really couldn't use it on HDD, which, you know, honestly is probably where most people want to use this. Um, that changed in 9.6. So if you can get up to 9.6, it's on automatically now um, on all SSD local tiers. 
and it's now available to be turned on to your HDDs, um, starting with 9.6. And that's a, it's a huge tool when you're thinking about provisioning um, you know, your existing system, say it's time for a hardware refresh, and I know that my new footprint on my new hardware doesn't need to be as big as my old footprint was, um, but I don't know what that exact number is, um, inactive data reporting lets you find out that number. Um, if you want to learn more about it, uh, TR4598 is the Powerful Best Practices. Tons of good information there, not just about inactive data reporting, but also Object Store Profiler. Um, Object Store Profiler mostly about performance and just you know determining, you know, setting real-world expectations for what you're going to look like. Um, in general, almost every customer can hit you know, at least SATA-like performance, if not significantly better. Um, but inactive data reporting is the really awesome tool when it comes to you know, provisioning and thinking about you know, hardware refresh, what is that going to look like? And the other thing that you could do with the inactive data reporting and the outcome that comes out of it with respect to the cold data is you could plug that into the TCO calculator that we have to actually give you the dollar savings of how much you could save if you had this much amount of um, inactive data. Or you could even set the policies that you would want to do in the TCO calculator and it'll give you kind of an overview of how much you may be able to save in terms of uh, uh, by moving it to different, uh, whether it's a storage grid or if it was AWS, you could actually choose all of that. And we have a nifty tool where you could do your uh, PCO calculations. We could give you a link to that in the notes, podcast notes, and uh, you can take a look and play around with the tool. Excellent. Um, so because I want to ask the hard questions here at the podcast, John, why would I want, why would I be able to enable inactive data reporting on spinning drives when I can't even use fabric pool on them? Sure. So the early on, like you couldn't do it at all. Um, there's a performance implication is why. Um, in the background, we're doing all the real temperature scans that we do on SSD. On SSD, it's negligible. Um, on HDD, it's, it's not so negligible, or at least it wasn't in the past. Um, there was kind of a, a performance hit, and we just didn't want you to put yourself at, at risk. Kind of think of, you know, how come most people don't do encryption on spinning media? Kind of the, the same kind of reasons there. Um, so that, that was the logic you know, um, as it ran up until 9.6, where we made some significant enhancements so it doesn't hit you know, the CPU as hard as it used to. Um, lot, lots of engineering development went in to make that happen. And so that's why you can do it starting in 9.6, because there were changes made you know, under the covers, so it doesn't hit um, CPU as hard. Um, because the temperature scan, what it's what it's doing under the hood is it's going through every single waffle block, you know, every little 4K waffle block. Um, it's going through to say, you know, is this hot? Is it not? And, and make a note of that. Um, that's trivial for SSD. Um, that's a lot of spinning and a lot of reading for those two little heads in, you know, on on a platter on a physical media. Um, and they they've improved that, so you can do that in 9.6. You still can't do HDD yet. Um, we're thinking about that. There's folks talking about it. I think the first step towards that is what we have with IDR, because that kind of proves that the performance enhancements that they're making, they really do work. And so hopefully we can see that in production on HDD you know, in the future. I'm not there yet, but we are there for, for IDR. Okay, so let's, let's, let's just kind of go back here. So we can do it on SSDs. <coughs> Sorry. We can do it on SSDs. You said spinning media. Does that mean like just SAS drives? Anything HDD. <clears throat> Anything HDD. So you, you can do that in active data reporting on those. Yes, starting with 9.6. Right. But you, you have can't... to manu manually turn it on right. uh, for uh, HDDs, but it's automatically turned on on SSD starting 9.6. Yeah, and I guess my question was is we're allowing people to do the inactive data reporting, but why would people want to do that if they can't turn on the actual fabric pool tiering on HDD? Because they're, most customers are thinking about a hardware refresh. So say they're looking, you know, we still have a lot of folks even on 7 mode, but say they're not on 7 mode. Say they're on just like a like a 8040 or something like that from a couple years back, but it's all HDD. It's like a FAS box. Um, they're ready to move into flash. Um, they probably don't want to provision, you know, as much of that footprint um, because they know or they will find out soon with, with inactive data reporting, you know, how much you know, is hot active data versus how much is kind of cold inactive data. And so that's why they want to run those tools on HDD is because, you know, their entire system today might be spinning media. 
um, but they don't want it to be spinning media forever, definitely not you know, tomorrow, as they're thinking about their hardware refresh. So this lets them see what it's like on their system and lets them kind of do the right you know, sizing, okay. um, right size provisioning when they're moving into you know, their new system, when they're brand new AFF hardware. And there is that one exception, right? The, the ONTAP Select exception where you can use it on spinning media with ONTAP Select? Technically, there's two. There's ONTAP oh. Select um, and there's Cloud Volumes ONTAP. So both of those, because it's not you know, as bound um, you know, to the storage layer as, as ONTAP is, um, we're not as picky uh, about or maybe we're just not as aware um, of, of the underlying you know, storage. And so we will let you do tiering in those use cases. Um, I personally don't recommend it. I don't think it's a net NetApp best practice. Um, but that being said, here's why: most customers, the performance is um, impacted um, by you know the, the, all the tiering scans and temperature scans. Um, so there is still is a performance impact. Um, and the customers that do do that successfully, they're basically doing it specifically to tier. So they're going to set up their CVO instance or their select uh, box specifically as you know a tiering target, and they have you know great success with that. And and we do have customers that do that. But in general, that those are kind of like the edge case. I think most customers running CVO or select, they have like real production data uh, on those boxes um, or on those systems instances. Um, and when you're running Fabricool in there, it's going to on you know physical media. Um, it is going to be a performance hit. So if you're doing it exclusively for tiering, um, you're probably going to have a very good experience. Um, if you're running it on you know, production applications on Select or, or CVO using physical media, um, you're probably not going to because of performance impact. Again, we're making strides to, to change that. Uh, we're just not there yet today. So the best practice is always run Fabricool on you know, SSD aggregates you know, slash local tiers. It sounds like Fabricpool has made some great strides since its inception in 9.2. Um, Shreya, how many people are using it today, and you know what sort of feedback are they giving you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think we've, we've just seen Fabricpool grow by leaps and bounds. Uh, there's a lot of interest and a lot of adoption. We have gone way past the POCs. We have like a lot of uh, data out in production. In fact, we have how about 150 petabytes? or more already tiered out uh, the various um, S3 endpoints. I would say more uh, because, first of all, the 150 petabytes is what is reported through ASAP. So what is not reported, we don't even know yet. We don't keep track of that. And it doesn't include what is tiered uh, from a CVO instance. CVO, cloud volumes on tap, uh, fabric pool is turned on by default, but some customers may choose to turn it off or um, change the settings. So we would think that about 50% or more of CVO instances have Fabric Pool turned on. So of this 150 petabytes, uh, we actually have, uh, we span every vertical. We have universities using Fabric Pool, hospitals, um, manufacturing companies, media companies. So you name it, we have customers in those happily using them and coming back to consume more and more. What we're seeing right now is people start off with the fabric pool, just a small instance, and then they love it so much that even before the term is up, they start to add on more fabric pools. So we're seeing a lot of repeat business, which is a great thing for me as a product manager. Uh, When we talk about the splits of where people are tiering to, I would say that we are seeing more growth in the storage grid. So we see now um, more than ever that people are choosing storage grid as a, a endpoint of choice. We have about close to 50% of data being tiered to storage grid using Fabric Pool right now, um, and uh, about 25% to AWS, and rest of it to the various other cloud and uh, private object stores. So it sounds like people want to save money, from what I'm hearing. Oh, <laughs> always. So, and that's, that's really what determines what object store provider they're going to go to, and that's why we see such huge adoption rate with storage grid is, you know, it's, you know, it, we're not going to trap, as NetApp, you know, and Fabricool, we don't trap you into any specific provider. Your data is totally mobile, and you can move from, you know, the provider that makes sense for you today. Um, it turns out, you know, at, I'd say, 300 mm-hmm. terabytes or more, that's almost always going to be storage grid. Um, and under that, it probably makes more sense to go to a, a public object store provider. Um, but your prices today might be different than, you know, your prices next year. And so you might be using, you know, Fabric Pool to tier to Amazon 
because um, you're at 100 terabytes. And then next year, you're 200 terabytes. And you, oh, I've got better pricing from maybe Azure or Google. You can move your data there. And then eventually you get to, you know, 300, you know, half a petabyte, two petabytes, four petabytes. And now it's like absolutely makes sense to go to storage grid and you can move your data there. There's no lock-in with, with Fabric Pool. Um, so you can really go to the provider that makes the most sense for you. And I think that's why we're seeing, you know, the, the adoption rates uh, recently, um, probably within the last year and a half to two years, we go, you know, significantly skewed to storage grid because so many people now are, are tiering it at a level where it makes more economic sense to do that. In fact, the mobility between providers and uh, ability to tier, uh, move, change from one provider to another provides a great segue to our next topic of discussion of new features and yeah. what you could be doing in 9.7. That's a good point. So, yeah, so what, what is new in 9.7? What's this new feature that allows me to move between clouds? So we have a new feature in 9.7. It's called Fabricool Mirror, and it lets you attach multiple buckets to local tiers or, you know, aggregates in ONTAP. Um, in the past, you could do, you know, one bucket to one aggregate, or you could do one bucket to, you know, all the aggregates in your cluster. That's probably very, very common. Um, but you couldn't do multiple buckets to a, a single aggregate or, or local tier. Um, you can do that now in 9.7. Um, I think the obvious kind of solution is, hey, I, I want to use multiple vendors. Um, I'm going to have one bucket that goes to Amazon and, say, another bucket that goes, you know, to Azure. Um, the, the, the logic there is, you know, Amazon sometimes is going to go down. And when Amazon goes down for, you know, say, two hours, you know, you're not losing any data. Um, and it's your cold data anyways, um, but it's not accessible during that time period. Um, if you have multiple buckets, um, now you can, you know, also get your data from Azure or Google or wherever else that you're tiering. Um, I think that's the obvious one, um, but the one that I'm personally seeing, you know, more customers going to be using probably is the, the ability to change providers completely non-destructively um, with the greatest of ease. Um, you could have always changed um, your provider um, with, with Fabric Pool. So say I want to go to Amazon and now I'm at a capacity where storage grid makes more sense. Um, in the olden days, you know, prior to 9.7, it was as easy as a ball move. And again, you know, ball move is totally non-destructive. Um, the catch being you need, you know, the capacity to do that ball move. And, you know, we have a lot of customers that they're at max capacity. They don't, they don't have, you know, the capacity to move, you know, a, a volume um, over to a, an, another aggregate or, or local tier. Um, so it's not as easy, you know, as, as you might think. Um, we got, we, we ran into that a lot. A lot of customers were saying, hey, I'd love to switch providers, but that this ball move isn't super simple uh, just because I don't have capacity. So we fixed that in 9.7. Now you can attach multiple buckets to that, that same, you know, aggregate. So the, the data then gets mirrored between those two buckets. So now I'm mirroring data, say, to all the data that was also in Amazon. Now it's also going to be in storage grid. And when I'm ready to pay my last bill to Amazon, you know, I, I you know, pay that bill and I cut the cord and, you know, client applications, everything completely non-disruptive, um, totally seamless, didn't even need to do a ball move. Um, and that, that, that functionality is called Fabric Pool Mirror. Um, so those are the kind of the two major use cases um, is one just, you know, hey, being able to move non-disruptively without a ball move. Um, and the other is, you know, to ha have multiple providers. So, you know, you can tier data to multiple providers simultaneously. Everything is completely you know, synced up. Cool. So um, that also lets us do something else in 9.7. What does it allow us to do? Exactly. So anybody can use Fabricool mirrors. It's, it's great functionality, especially for, for data mobility um, as well as durability. Um, but folks that absolutely have to use Fabricool mirrors is any of our customers using MetroCluster. For a very long time, uh, MetroCluster was not supported uh, with Fabricool. Um, it's, it's actually a, a lot of engineering work has to go in the back um, to, to make this happen. Again, MetroCluster, you know, for those that aren't aware, it's you know, our continuously available solution where you have two clusters, everything is, you know, synchronized, um, everything's redundant. Um, if there's a failure anywhere, um, it's not going to be a problem because the, the other site, the other hardware, the other network, everything is redundant. Um, and so that took a lot of work to make sure that Fabric Pool did that as well. Um, but that's now available in 9.7. Um, part of how it works under the covers is using Fabric Pool Mirror kind of technology 
where basically we have, you know, say my bucket uh, that I'm attached to using Fabricool on site A, um, and I'm gonna have a, all, another bucket on site B. And so what we're doing, we're just using that Fabricool mirror technology uh, with Metro Cluster so that site A is the primary, so site A bucket is the, the primary for site A, shocker. Uh, but the site B bucket will be kind of the secondary bucket for site A. Likewise, on B, you know, B is the primary, and then A would be the secondary. So again, we've made everything redundant, even to you know uh, the tiering level, even to the fabric pool level, so that if there's a failure anywhere, even out to the object store, the, the data is always you know available. It's just you know it's more the same with Metro Cluster, taken all the way to you know fabric pool as well, out to the object store. Just one uh, thing to note, though, is Metro Cluster over IP is supported currently. Uh, we hope to support uh, fiber channel Metro Cluster very soon. So what else we got in uh, 9.7? Sure. The other functionality is, you know, kind of some, some interesting stuff um, is, you know, NDMP support. Um, previously, you know, I, we haven't even heard of NDMP in, in a long time, you know, for a lot of customers because they're using, you know, SnapMirror and kind of modern, you know, data protection uh, utilities. Um, but we still have a lot of customers that use third-party applications, and they might not promote it very much, but a lot of those use NDMP under the covers. Um, that was a problem for Fabricool um, because, you know, Fabricool and NDMP, by their kind of very nature, um, aren't going to play nice together. Um, NDMP is going to run through everything and relatively frequently, um, and all those reads look like, you know, a real read, and it keeps data hot. Um, and Fabricool is looking for cold data to tier. So if your your backup processes are keeping everything hot, um, you know, again, they just don't play nice together. Um, for that reason, um, prior to 9.7, we just it was hard coded that NDMP would not work. Um, so if you're you have a Fabricool aggregate or, or local tier, um, and you want to use NDMP kind of backup solutions, um, they would not work. Um, we got a lot of pushback from customers that said, "Hey, I, I get how NDMP works." I've been using it for, you know, over a decade, um, and I want to continue using it. Um, and so we said, okay, um, let us make some changes, and then we're going to let that happen. So that's what we did in 9.7. Now NDMP operations are totally supported, just like, you know, regular aggregate. There's support on Fabricool aggregates as well. Um, really, the, the only catch here is customers that are, are using kind of third-party tools, you know, your Commvault, your net backups, et cetera, you know, set them so they are actually using NDMP and it's not kind of a proxy that's really using, you know, SMB or NFS. Um, as long as they're really using NDMP, we are not going to reheat the data. We're going to keep this as, you know, cold data. We're not going to treat it as hot um, and everything should be working out fine. Now, obviously, it's still NDMP. It's still doing lots of reads. There's still lots of network traffic the way NDMP works. So that part doesn't change, but what we did change in 9.7 is one, we, we let you do it at all, and, and two, we, we're, we're going to make sure that it keeps the data cold. You know, is it still going to be reading data and that kind of stuff? For sure, but we're, it won't be making it hot, which is kind of one of the main reasons why we hard-coded it not to work in the first place. Um, all this comes in 9.7, so now you can use kind of legacy data protection applications, you know, with Fabricool. As far as Fabricool goes, I mean, who is using it? Like, what are the use cases you see the most out there and you know what sort of examples do you have for people that might be considering it so i think when fabric pool first started off I, we were having people use more of the snapshot policy where they were trying to tear out snapshots uh, that being the most obvious and the easy use case but as time passed on and people gained a lot more confidence in fabric pool we are seeing a lot more of the cold data the auto policy where you could set it to between any day between two days to 63 days so you could set your coldness threshold to any time between two days and 63 days, and then it'll uh, automatically tear out the data. And we see that becoming the most popular uh, use case for Fabric Pool. Uh, the other use case that we also provide with Fabric Pool, the policy, is um, the all policy. And we typically recommend that for secondary data for backups. So if you have your backups, uh, you could just turn on the all policy, and all of the backups or essentially any data will just get teared out. We typically don't recommend... Uh, turning on all policy for active data because it would not even let you wait for the two day or whatever the cooling period, immediately it will uh, tear out the data. So all policy is typically recommended for backup workloads. 
unless you're absolutely sure that the data that you have in that volume is absolutely cold, and then you could go ahead and do it. But otherwise, for active data workloads, auto is the best policy we can recommend. Yeah, it's 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 not just the best, which which it is, but it's it's the most used. Mm-hmm. Um, that came out in nine four. Um, honestly, so Fairpool launched in nine two. Um, immediately, folks were saying, "Where's you know the auto policy?" Because that that was the number one use case that most people wanted. Um, and we launched that in nine four, and it's I think last release it finally became the number one mm-hmm. uh, used policy. Um, the other one that just has a, a big footprint, um, but it's still always beating it is um, the all policy. We used to call that the backup policy. So folks have been following Fabricable for a while. It used to be called backup. We've just changed it now um, to rename it to all because that's that's really what it does. It tears everything that's in that volume. Um, and there you see, you know, you do see it a, a tiny bit on production data, but it, like, like Shri was saying, that's really not the recommended or even core use case. Uh, the vast majority of customers using all, it's with secondary data. Um, and that's true. Again, this Fabricable works anywhere you're using ONTAP. So, you know, you can go, you know, a, a old school secondary, you know, run with hardware. And instead of going, you know, you know, really, really deep um, with, with the cheapest, you know, disk you can get, um, now you go really, really thin with, with Flash, and then you tear it out to the cloud. Um, and likewise, cloud volumes on tap. I see a ton of folks using, you know, their, their, their secondary instance or their, you know, secondary kind of backup um, site. That, that's it's in the cloud now. Um, it, they don't even have a, another site to go to. It's it's just an instance um, on Amazon or Azure or, or now Google, um, and that's where all their secondary data happens. And yeah, with the all tiering policy, it, it does what it says on the box. It tiers everything. We keep a tiny bit of metadata on Flash, um, and everything else gets tiered. Um, and so that's a very popular use case. But but auto on production data, that's that's the number one policy by far. So, I mean, I know policies are, are one thing, but I mean, like, actual, like, workloads. Like, what sort of workloads benefit from this? Like, can you give me some examples of things that people do in, in their industries where Fabric Pool is really helping them out? Sure, sure. So, it's honestly, it's anything that creates large sets of data and then doesn't use them after after some period of time. Uh, and that, that, as Sri was saying earlier, that goes across. You know, you know, vertical. So uh, an easy one, uh, just to wrap your head around, is to so say I'm doing, you know, I work in a hospital and I do lots of medical Im- imaging, and you know, all my MRIs or or, or whatever um, are are backed up. Um, you know, the customers, you know, the client, you know, the the patient is or the doctor, et cetera. They're they're going to be looking at that data, you know, probably for the next, you know, month, maybe maybe two months, um, and that's about it. Um, because then the, the issue, you know, hopefully, you know, all health issues concerned re- resolves itself. But they're just going to hang on to that data. And so we, while they're still referencing it, let's keep it on flash. So when the doctor pulls up the imaging, it happens instantly. Um, but, you know, six months later, there's no reason for that data to be on flash. Let's move it somewhere else. Um, and so we keep it, you know, in an object store where it's, you know, much, much less expensive. That being said, you know, this is this is tiering. This is not a, a backup solution. So say you come in, you know, it's my 12-month visit, and I need to see how my brain scan works. Um, so they bring back that data, and, you know, no admin has to be there. No one's doing a restore operation. It's just recalling the data from the object store. It's completely, you know, transparent to the client application, has no idea about the storage layer. And, you know, it's not the speed of Flash. It'll be the speed of data when it comes back. Um, which is still pretty darn fast um, for for most you know applications. Um, that's kind of an easy example, but th- that's true whether it's any sort of imaging, um, you know, medical receipts and finance, um, or video or post processing, et cetera, where you have like large amounts of data, you're actively working on it, um, and then after a while you don't work on it anymore, and it just just sits there. And we want to get that weight off of SSD and move it over to object store. Um, I'm showing, you know, those kind of, but it's like in any industry, if you work on projects or your team works on, you know, a certain build or whatever it is, you know, when, when they're still working on it, you want it to be fast and get all the performance of SSD. But, you know, when they're done with it, let's, let's move it somewhere else. So it's true for pretty much any workload that works like that. Um, I think the workloads that don't always work like that, I, think, you know, some databases where they're always touching data. Um, I think Exchange kind of works the same way where a, a lot of um, its record keeping is, is always 
you know, touching various files. So there are some use cases where it doesn't make sense. It's really where if your workload or your application is going to be touching data a lot, um, then it's always going to be hot and it's just never going to get tiered. Um, but outside of those, you know, kind of, you know, there are, you know, applications that work that way. But for everything else where it's like, hey, I'm working with this, you know, this month or maybe even for the next three months. Um, and then after that, I'm done with this project. Uh, but I still need access to it. That's where you know Fabricool really shines. So w- one quibble about the um, the images. So you, that that example is you know images when you when you load one, it's an entire file. You're not grabbing a part of it, right? Um, but a database, like you mentioned, is a larger file where maybe you're only accessing certain rows. So the example I usually like to use is if you're running financial reports quarterly, right? You're not always doing that at all times. You're only doing that in the quarter. So if it's sitting there for the rest of the quarter unused, then it could get tiered off. Absolutely. And and that, and that and, I'm, and I bring that up because with larger files, you're not always reading the entire file, right? And we're also not tiering the entire file. So we're actually doing that at the block level. And, and you know, so you could tear off parts of a database and it could come back later on when you need it. Yeah, so we see that a lot, not just with databases. I'm thinking scientific data uh, kind of works that way too, where, you know, sometimes they're getting, you know, many terabytes uh, of data. And, you know, if it's, if the client application doesn't need to read the whole file, you know, we're not going to move the whole file over. And I think, you know, in general, the storage industry, um, everybody does tiering now. A lot of them, it was a lot easier just to go with files. And, you know, say I got a terabyte size file or not even that big because, you know, not everyone does. Say I have a 10 gig file. That's far more common. Um, and I only need to read, you know, 200 megs of it. Um, that's all Fabricool does. Fabricool, because it's looking at the waffle blocks, it's only going to bring the data that the client application needs. So that you might have a 10 gig file, but if your app is only reading 200 megs, that's all we're going to move over the wire. And that, so that's like network efficiency. And it's also, especially with public clouds, that's egress fees that you're not paying. Versus if you're doing file-based tiering, you know, and I need to look at 200 megs off of a 10 gig file, that whole, you know, or 10 gig file, that whole 10 gig file moves over the network. You know, that whole 10 gig file gets charged in terms of egress. Um, so this is a significant advantage. And, and really it's just, we're leveraging Waffle, which has been around inside ONTAP, you know, for two decades. Um, and we're just, we're put Waffle plus, you know, byte range gets. And it makes for massive network efficiencies. You know, when obviously when your application is going to do that. If I if I open a PowerPoint, you know, you know, Office is going to open up the whole thing. So it really depends on the application. But for applications that you know only need to read certain parts of a file, um, it's it's a huge um, you know benefit. And it only scales up as you get bigger and bigger files. So anything else new in ONTAP 9.7 for Fabricool? I guess last but not least, very, very small one. It won't hit everybody, um, but we've we've given you the ability now to... So in the past, uh, Shria handled all of these by hand. Um, it was, you know, if you wanted to use a object store provider that was not, you know, officially qualified by ONTAP, um, you had to go through Shria um, and do lots of red tape and paperwork. Um, and, you know, good news, Fabricool, like all the major players are qualified um, by NetApp. So that's, you know, Alibaba, Amazon, Google, IBM, you know, Azure, you know, StorageGrid, you, you name it, those are all qualified. But there's smaller players out there. You know, you got Hitachi, Cloudian, um, you know, those that shall not be named with, you know, Dell EMC kind of thing. So there's other players out there. And we just haven't officially qualified them, but we have customers that, you know, maybe they've already paid for it. Um, and so they're not interested in moving over to Amazon or SourceGood or something else. And, and that's okay too. Um, again, we want to make life easy for the customer here. And so, you know, if, if that's the case and you're already using, you know, a, a provider that you're very happy with, but we just haven't officially qualified for, you know, we, we now let you do that, um, starting with 9.7, you don't need to file a, you know, FPBR to make this work. You can select the S3 compatible provider. It's a new provider type um, that we've added, and, you know, away you go. You know, obviously, I, I do want to stress, you know, not every object store is built the same. They, they do erasure coding differently. They do, you know, replication differently. They do security differently. Um, so it, it does matter, especially the way Firepool works. 
you know, with, you know, we were just talking about how network efficient it is. That's because it, it gets our byte range and those, those gets can get really, really small. And a lot of, you know, office store providers out there are, they're optimized for, for, for bigger, you know, gets, you know, bigger puts and gets. Um, so, you know, they're not all built the same. All the ones that we've qualified, obviously we're happy with how they work. You know, definitely take a look. This is where Object Store Profiler um, comes in. You know, you can set up the S3 compatible provider. You know, say I want to use, you know, the, the small provider that I'm very happy with. Um, I can do that now starting with 9.7. I, I still highly recommend point the, you know, Object Store provider at it just to see what the performance is, is like. Um, again, they're not all built the same. Um, you know, that's why it's, it's such a, you know, wild west um, you know, market right now in terms of, you know, object store providers. Um, you know, we, we, we see the big names, you know, the Amazon, the Azures and those kind of things, but there's lots of competition in this space. Um, so just have a look, you know, take a look. Object store provider is, is how you find out, but now you can add those smaller guys um, if you want using S3 compatible provider. Um, prior, we, we would let you do that, but you had to jump through, you know, lots of hoops. Um, those hoops are pretty much gone now. Um, it's again, it's just, I mean, you've said this many times, Justin, it's, it's just S3 at the end of the day. Um, you know, we're, we're just looking, can you do puts and gets at a reasonable speed? You know, really we're aiming for SATA like performance and is your encryption up to snuff and everybody should be, if they're not already, um, you know, it's, it's all, you know, we want TLS, you know, it's AES 256, you know, GCM is, is what we're looking for. Um, just to make sure that things are secure. Um, Fabricool is always going to use, you know, we always want TLS over the wire, and we always want your data to be encrypted at rest. If you use ONTAP to do your encryption, that's great. We're not going to make you encrypt it again um, on the object store. But if you're not using ONTAP to do encryption, we're going to force the object store to encrypt it. And there, you know, again, as long as you're using AES-256 GCM, you're good to go. But you never know with these smaller players, you know, every now and then you're going to run into one that's using MD5 or something. And that's when you got to pick up the phone and, and talk to them to say, hey, guys, are, are you ready to update your encryption scheme? So, um, you know, that's really what we're looking for is just performance um, and security. And assuming, you know, you, you hit those marks, you know, ONTAP's going to be happy with it. So um, going with that, I mean, if I did use a S3 provider that wasn't qualified because I already had it, and then I decided later on that I wanted to use something like Storage Grid, um, there's a way to get there, right? I mean, we, we, we just talked about that a little while ago, the ONTAP 9.7 feature of Fabricool Mirrors. Exactly. So we, it's, it's, so I see that every week, seriously, Justin, is customers that, you know, they have a entrenched position with, you know, ECS, for example, because um, they bought it a long time ago, and they completely got off of EMC at this point. Everything else is, an, is NetApp in the house, except for their object store provider. Um, and that's okay because it, it never went wrong and they're still using it. Um, and that's okay. We'll let you use it. Um, but now, like, eventually they run into, you know, performance issues or, or whatever, and they're just ready to, to upgrade. Um, they can do that. And especially with Fabricol mirrors, it's super easy. You know, you just say, hey, now my bucket that was pointing to ECS is now pointing to storage grid. And the, the day I'm ready to, you know, deactivate all that old hardware, I do it. And it was completely seamless, completely transparent, um, and now I'm, you know, a complete, you know, NetApp house. Um, so that happens all the time, uh, where customers, you know, you know, they, they want to save money. I completely understand that. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I get that too. Um, but eventually, um, you know, just time catches up with folks, and, it, and it's time to upgrade. And so, starting with nine seven, thanks to Fabricol Mirrors, we made that process super, super easy. Um, prior to 9.7, it was, you know, it was just a ball move, but that's, you know, sometimes easier said than done. Um, and now with 9.7, it, it's easy, you know, no matter, you know, what your capacities are like. Yeah, it's funny. I, I had to have this conversation at a customer site. So I went out and traveled to a customer site and I had to talk about Fabric Pool because I was there, right? <laughs> you weren't there, John. Uh, but, it's you know, so they asked, you know, can I use my, my competitor system with this? And I had to, like, do the, the dance <laughs> like, well, you can't, but you could. And then they're like, you know, naturally asking, well, it's S3, right? Well, yeah, it's S3. It should work. But, you know, it's, and it, now you remove that song and dance, right? Now now it no longer is this like fudging of like, well, now, now you can just say, yeah, go ahead, go for it. 
like in the past, it was just we'd go through the FPVR process and and make customers do lots of additional testing, and you know, just basically we wanted to prove that you know the customer was going to be happy going with this kind of like alternative provider, um, and it, it was just is a lot of extra work um, and for for not much benefit. So we've kind of reduced you know that that headache at this point, where pointing them to object store provider saying, hey, if you're happy with your provider already, you know, go for it. Yeah. We would still encourage them to do the testing, though, and uh, look at the numbers, just make sure that they're absolutely happy with the performance that they see before they commit to it. But otherwise, we've removed any of the red tape, as we call it, to uh, if they want to connect to a, a non-compact, non-approved optical. Yeah. I think in ONTAP, we, there's, it's pretty prohibitive in terms of, at least on the security side. So if they're not up to snuff on security, we won't even make the connection. Um, so it'll, it'll be a very short trial on their part. Um, but in terms of performance, now that the object store profiler is out there and folks are making great use of that, um, it's very easy with very, very little testing to still see kind of real-world performance. Um, yeah, the, the object store profiler, it, it does real puts, it does real gifts, it does a bunch of byte range gifts. So, you know, you don't have to spend, you know, weeks doing a, a POC for, you know, your third party, you know, object store provider. Now you can just, you know, as once you make that connection, you can do the object store profiler and pretty much see, you know, what the performance is. And at this point, we're pretty confident that that is a real world number. Um, so it, it saves a lot of time from testing. And before, what would take you know weeks, you know, you know, going through an FPVR process is it's it's not a thing anymore. It's just like, hey, make the connection, use this tool, and you know, within a day, you'll you'll know, you know, is this going to be you know performative? Is this going to give me you know the numbers I'm looking for? And that leaves me with more time to work on new features. So mm -hmm. I think it's a win-win. <laughs> yeah. So that's my favorite part about Fabric Pool. It's like you know, she is saying you know we have 150, almost 200 petabytes here right now. It's it has such high adoption that it gets lots of engineering attention. And so Shreya approves the features, I get to play with them, and it's a really fun product uh, to be on right now. And, and because that's because of the, the high adoption rate. You know, I don't, I don't look at the, uh, the PVR process as red tape. I look at it like a quest, right? I mean, you're looking for that, the ring, the one ring, and you're trying to find it. So, I mean, it's, it's an adventure, right? <laughs> People, people like That's that. That's true. People like adventures. Instead of the nine-hour nine director cut, now you can just take the great eagle and take the ring right over, you know, to the volcano, and you're good to go. That's so right. We've, just, we've, just drop it in there. A little bit. Yeah. One cloud to rule them all there or something. Go. I don't know. <laughs> you could use that if you want. Um, so you, you mentioned uh, trying it out in the, in the object store profile or in testing, but there, there's a way to try it out even if I don't have NetApp equipment. So... John, how would I try that out? A hands-on lab. Um, so pre that's great. Thank you. Great segue. So previously, that was really only available to you know, you know, the, the SEs, the SAs inside ONTAP. I think they slowly opened it up to partners. And, and now the hands-on lab is open to everybody. Um, Fabricool is one of um, the, the features out there that, you know, because you need an object store, if, if you're going out to – you know, Amazon or Azure, now I need some licensing. So be, because of all those kind of, you know, things that kind of slow down testing, um, the hands-on lab takes care of all those, you know, little odds and ends and all the T's are already crossed, the I's are already dotted, and you're up and running in this kind of virtualized instance of ONTAP, has a virtualized object store, and you're good to go. You can really see how easy it is. Um, you know, don't take my word for it. You know, it's, it's true. It's, Setup is spectacularly easy. Um, you, you point it to a bucket, you make the attachments, you know, and you're good to go. You set tiering policies on a volume. Um, there's not a lot to it. And using the hands-on lab, you can see exactly what that looks like. Um, you can start tiering data. You can see what that looks like when I change my policies, you know, what's that going to look like. Um, yeah, and there's, you know, you don't need the hardware, you know, um, you know, at your site to make this happen. You can, you know, get a little bit of dirt under your fingernails you know, virtually, um, and, it, and it works really well. And yeah, just, just like Fabricool itself, um, I'm, I'm hearing like really good things from the customers that have been using the hands-on lab. 
And it's not just customers. I mean, you can actually be a non-NetUp customer, and if you're considering it, you can go in and use the hands-on labs. It's it's more exactly. limited, but you have the ability to do it. My bad. You're, you're absolutely right. I think of anyone, um, even if they're a non-NetUp customer, they're, they're still potential customers. I, I, I'm using the word customer there, but you're right. It's uh, non-badged. You, know, you don't have to work for NetUp. You don't have to be a NetUp partner. You know, anybody can, can use this now. See exactly, you know how System Manager works, and it, it, you know obviously I'm I'm you know upselling Fabric Pool because you know that it works there without all this additional hardware licenses or you know anything like that. Um, but it's true for everything in ONTAP. You know it's it's a real build of ONTAP, and you can see how all the functionality works. Um, that plus System Manager, so you get to see you know what what the GUI looks like, get to see you know how to control things. Uh, you know, you know it's only three clicks. You know that kind of thing. So. Um, it's pretty helpful. You're going you to do a video with your kids and showing how easy it is with your kids doing it? I could do that. Um, you could put little yeah, smiley, you could put smiley faces over their face, right? You can put like, you don't have to show their faces. You can just put the stickers over their face. Just do it, do it, do it, do it digitally though. Don't do it live because they can't breathe. <laughs> Yeah, the duct tape doesn't work so well. No, no. I mean, it protects their identity, but then it's, yeah, it's bad for, for child protective services. Yeah. Looks like, Justin, you tried that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I'm just imagining it sometimes. No, I've never tried that. I would never do that. My child is too precious. All right, John, Shreya, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about the goodness that is Fabric Pool in ONTAP 9.7. So, John, again, if we wanted to reach you, how do we do that? Um, John.Lance at uh, NetApp.com. And Shreya Paramkusam. I just like saying that. It's Thanks, fun. Justin. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you can Anybody can reach me at, in fact, they can reach me at Shreya at NetApp.com. They don't even have to type my last name. So. But it's so much fun right. to type. Yeah, then yeah, go ahead and do Shreya.Paramkusam at NetApp.com. I like, uh, that's what I do. I don't even bother with Shreya. <laughs> <laughs> So, John, um, if people wanted to get more information, you mentioned there was a TR. What is that TR number again? Uh, TR4598. That's the easiest way to search for it. But you can also just look for Fabpool Best Practices. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank John Lentz and Shreya Param Kusam for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.